welcome back one and all to the Womance Public Access Read-Along of Pride and Prejudice. It's me, your odd chapter reader, Morgan. Joined by your even chapter reader, Isabeau. This week, we are embarking on chapter three. What happened in chapter two that you just read, Isabeau? In chapter two, Mr. Bennett plays a hilarious joke on his wife by not telling her that he went and saw Mr. Bingley and then announcing it in the parlor where all of his daughters are coughing and thinking deep thoughts. Then he leaves in a tumult of joy and Mrs. Bennett's like, I knew he'd do it all along. What a wonderful father you have. We all let this be yeah, let this all be a lesson to each of you. We all settle in life. Uh, With that, we shall begin Chapter 3 of Pride and Prejudice by none other than Jane Austen. Not all that Mrs. Bennet, however, with the assistance of her five daughters, could ask on the subject was sufficient to draw from her husband any satisfactory description of Mr. Bingley. They attacked him in various ways with barefaced questions, ingenious suppositions, and distant surmises. But he eluded the skill of them all, and they were at last obliged to accept the second-hand intelligence of their neighbor, Lady Lucas. Her report was highly favorable. Sir William had been delighted with him. He was quite young, wonderfully handsome, extremely agreeable, and to crown the whole, he meant to be at the next assembly with a large party. Nothing could be more delightful. To be fond of dancing was a certain step towards falling in love." and very lively hopes of Mr. Bingley's heart were entertained. "'If I can but see one of my daughters happily settled at Netherfield,' said Mrs. Bennet to her husband, "'and all the others equally well married, I shall have nothing to wish for.'" (laughs) In a few days, Mr. Bingley returned Mr. Bennet's visit and sat about ten minutes with him in his library. He had entertained hopes of being admitted to a sight of the young ladies, of whose beauty he had heard much, but he saw only the father— The ladies were somewhat more fortunate, for they had the advantage of ascertaining from an upper window that he wore a blue coat and rode a black horse. An invitation to dinner was soon afterwards dispatched, and already had Mr. Pardon, had Mrs. Bennet planned the courses that were to do credit to her housekeeping when an answer arrived which deferred it all. Mr. Bingley was obliged to be in town the following day and consequently unable to accept the honor of their invitation, etc., Mrs. Bennet was quite disconcerted. She would not imagine what business he could have in town so soon after his arrival in Hertfordshire. (laughs) She began to fear he might be always flying about from one place to another and never settled at Netherfield as he ought to be. Lady Lucas quieted her fears a little by stating, starting the idea of his being gone to London only to get a large party for the ball, and a report soon followed that Mr. Bingley was to bring twelve ladies and seven gentlemen with him to the assembly. The girls grieved over such a number of ladies, but were comforted the day before the ball by hearing that, instead of twelve, he had brought only six with him from London, his five sisters and a cousin. And when the party entered the assembly room, it consisted of only five altogether— Mr. Bingley, his two sisters, the husband of the eldest, and another young man. Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women with an air of decided fashion. 
His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien. How we never use that word anymore. I wish we did. It's yeah. strictly a romance historical word now. Yeah. And the report, which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance of his having 10,000 a year. The gentleman pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man. The ladies declared he was much handsomer than Mr. Bingley. Mm. And he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening, till his manners gave a disgust, which turned the tide of his popularity. <laughs> for he was discovered to be proud mm -hmm. to be above his company and above being pleased and not at all his large estate in derbyshire <laughs> derbyshire could then save him from having a most formidable ugh, a most forbidding disagreeable countenance and being unworthy to be compared with his friend whoa that is a very big tide turn Man, read the whole paragraph because a lot's going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not first and last. Well, you could get away with first and last. Um, Mr. Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room. He was lively and unreserved, danced every dance, was angry that the ball closed so early, and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield. Such amiable qualities must speak for themselves. What a contrast between him and his friend. Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst and once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady, and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room, speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided. He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world, and everybody <laughs> hoped that he would never come there again. Amongst the most violent against him was Mrs. Bennet, whose dislike of his general behavior was sharpened into particular resentment by his having slighted one of her daughters. Elizabeth Bennet had been obliged to the scarcity of gentlemen to sit down for two dances, and during part of that time, Mr. Darcy had been standing near enough for her to overhear a conversation between him and Mr. Bingley, who came from the dance for a few minutes to press his friend to join it. Come, Darcy, said he, I must have you dance. I hate to see you standing out by yourself in this stupid manner. You had much better dance. I certainly <laughs> shall not. You know how I detest it, unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. Your sisters are engaged, and there is not another woman in the room whom it would not be a punishment for me to stand up with. Ouch. I would not be so fastidious as you are, cried Bingley, for a kingdom. Upon my honor, I never met with so many pleasant girls in my life as I have this evening, and there are several of them you see uncommonly pretty. You are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room, said Mr. Darcy, looking at the eldest Miss Bennet. Oh, she is the most beautiful creature I ever beheld. But there is one of her sisters sitting down just behind you, who is very pretty, and I dare say very agreeable. Do let me ask my partner to introduce you. Which do you mean? And turning around, he looked for a moment at Elizabeth, till, catching her eye, he withdrew his own and coldly said, She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. And I am in no humor at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. You had better return to your partner and enjoy her smiles, for you are wasting your time with me. Mr. Bingley followed his advice, 
Mr. Darcy walked off, and Elizabeth threw herself off the roof. And Elizabeth remained with no cordial feelings towards him. She told the story, however, with great spirit among her friends, for she had a lively, playful disposition, which delighted in anything ridiculous. The evening altogether passed off pleasantly to the whole family. Mrs. Bennet had seen her eldest daughter much admired by the Netherfield party. Mr. Bingley had danced with her twice, and she had been distinguished by his sisters. Jane was as much gratified by this as her mother could be, though in a quieter way. Elizabeth felt Jane's pleasure. Mary had heard herself mentioned to Miss Bingley as the most accomplished girl in the neighborhood, and Catherine and Lydia had been fortunate enough to be never without partners, which was all that they had yet learned to care for at a ball. They returned, therefore, in good spirits to Longbourn, the village where they lived, and of which they were the principal inhabitants. They found Mr. Bennet still up, with a book he was regardless of time, and on the present occasion he had a good deal of curiosity as to the event of an evening which had raised such splendid expectations. He had rather hoped that all his wife's views on the stranger would be disappointed, but he soon found that he had a very different story to hear. "'Oh, my dear Mr. Bennet,' she entered the room. "'We have had a most delightful evening, a most excellent ball. "'I wish you had been there. Jane was so admired. Nothing could be like it. "'Everybody said how well she looked, and Mr. Bingley thought her quite beautiful "'and danced with her twice. Only think of that, my dear. He actually danced with her twice. "'She was the only creature in the room that he asked for a second time.' First of all, he asked Miss Lucas. I was so vexed to see him stand up with her. But, however, he did not admire her at all. Indeed, nobody can, you know. And he seemed quite struck with Jane as she was going down the dance. So he inquired who she was, got introduced, and asked her for the two next. Then the two-third he danced with Miss King, and the two-fourth with Maria Lucas, and the two-fifth with Jane again, and the two-sixth with Lizzie, and the Boulanger. If he had had any compassion for me, cried her husband impatiently, he would not have danced half so much. For God's sake, say no more of his partners. Oh, that he had sprained his ankle in the first dance. Oh, my dear, continued Mrs. Bennet, I am quite delighted with him. He was excessively handsome, and his sisters are charming women. I never in my life saw anything more elegant than their dresses. I dare say the lace upon Mrs. Hurst's gown... Here she was interrupted again. Mr. Bennet protested against any description of finery. She was therefore obliged to seek another branch of the subject, and related, with much bitterness of spirit and some exaggeration, the shocking rudeness of Mr. Darcy. But I can assure you, she added, that Lizzie does not lose much by not suiting his fancy, for he is a most disagreeable, horrid man, not at all worth pleasing, so high and so conceited that there was no enduring him. He walked here and he walked there, fancying himself so very great. <laughs> fancying. <laughs> fancying himself so very great not handsome enough to dance with i wish you had been there my dear to have given him one of your set downs i quite detest the man <laughs> i don't think mr bennett is giving anybody set downs but his wife and daughters like i don't I think he's know. gonna approach a man in public i feel like mrs bennett's desire to see him apply a set down to anyone else is a lot sadder and darker <laughs> the book realizes totally i think that there's yes please god prove you don't only hate us (laughs) (laughs) 
And like she earnestly believes it. Like I think the thing that is both so funny and like where the irritation of Mrs. Bennett comes from mm-hmm. is that she believes everything out of her own mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be irritating because she's not terribly self-reflective, but she does change as the situation changes. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did want to point out is that Mr. Darcy soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person and handsome features. Like, he's tall and then he's handsome. <laughs> yeah. But also <laughs> quite vague. Like, I, not even a hair color, mm-hmm. not even gold-flecked irises. Mm-mm. To he behold. is tall and then handsome. He's first of, firstly tall. Firstly, tall boy. he's he's tall boy. Secondly, handsome guy. So handsome. But you can't be handsome if you're not tall. Mr. Darcy is six foot because I guess it matters. <laughs> <laughs> also, I know there's like tons of media around this, but I really want to know like so it'll be easy to find out. I really want to know what tall is in the Regency, in Regency England. Yeah, I, I'm sure you could find this out pretty easily. We should, we should find it out because it'll be like 5'7". He'll be like you think Tom it's Cruise height. You think it's Tom Cruise sized? Yeah, I think that's probably tall for 1818. Average male height in the U.S., in 1818? In the U.S. today, it's 5'9". Ooh, see, yeah. So you are tall if you're six foot. I would have said that 5'11 was the average. I am really bad at this game, I think. Do you know what it is, though? We're, we're on the taller side for women, and so I feel like short men simply don't talk to us very often. <laughs> That's super true. Like, short men stopped talking to me in high school. Like, yeah. they just stopped. Like, they don't even, like want to be my friend no they're just like can't associate with you in any kind of sociality yeah we are the average male height for (laughs) the the u.s US. right now yeah okay hold on average in 1880s 1818 1818 oh my god it is so typical that there is a paper that covered average male heights in England from the time of the Roman occupation. That is such a weird thing that somebody spent their and dedicated their life to figuring out. Hold on, I've made it to the Norman Conquest. Bear with me. (sighs) Is this because they fund education better that you can just have a pet project like heights of men in England and somebody will give you money to do it? Like, where does, where does this come from? I'm glad to have it, but, like, Well, they found out questions. that the average male height went down during the Industrial Revolution. All the pollution? And the life expectancy. Yeah. We don't talk about too. that enough. <laughs> we don't. Okay, it's going to be 65.75 inches during the 17th and 18th centuries. So that's... Six, that's five foot five. Five foot six. So Darcy's probably five, seven, five, eight. Yeah, yeah. He's, like Tom he's Tom Cruise height. Cool. I'm better at guessing historical heights than I am about modern averages. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it was, it got all the way up to like five, eight in the 16th century. Wow. It really ebbs and flows. 
And then it took like a big hit in mm. the Industrial Revolution. So the 16th century, that would have been like, there were, or did you say the 1600s or the 16th century? 16th century. Okay. So that's like, whoa, the Elizabethan period mostly. And then. God damn. Like those guys. Oh. They were tall. They were no tall. wonder she was a virgin queen for 60 years. <laughs> why, why does that mean she? <laughs> I mean, she wasn't. She was just taking lovers left and right oh, and wasn't marrying to, anyone. She wants to bang all the tall hotties. She wants to bang all the tall hotties. God, that was depressing. I didn't realize the discussion about the average male height would be like so fraught with like always already late capital. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So five eight, <laughs> Mr. Darcy. Too proud. Too proud. Um, it sounds like he, to me, person who thinks pride is a virtue. Mm-hmm. It sounds like to me he has a preference. And normally I'm very much like you have one life to live, and in this era you've got just like fifty years, maybe, right? So like, don't waste your time doing stuff you don't want to do. But one of my deal breakers is people who refuse to dance. Mm. Picky eaters and people who refuse to dance, I just have a really hard time with. I get it. And especially at this time where, like, women are always outnumbering men at the ball. And so, like, and you can't dance with your sister. You can't dance with your friends. Like, you have to dance with a man. Like, the least he could do as an eligible bachelor. But, like, I also, like, you know... He's shy. That's the thing. Like, he doesn't want to dance with someone he doesn't know. Because, like, you do have to talk to the person. Like, it does require a little, like, at the very least, social lubricant, which Darcy seems to be running low on. He seems to need some WD-40. Yeah. On his socializing, for sure. His little tin man heart. (laughs) You know, when you feel shy or overwhelmed, it can be, like overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) yeah i well bless his heart i don't know he really does come across as an asshole he's very defensive he's in and i think the contrast between him and bingley and like bingley is like so exuberant he actually has quite a few qualities of mrs bennett here Mm -hmm. where he's like i've never seen prettier girls and i'm like you've been places bingley is that true or do you just feel like every place you go these are the prettiest girls do you think the book is saying like Bingley's dumb. Bingley's dumb. Or do you think the book is saying her for sure is the most, <laughs> is Rio de Janeiro of. Oh, no. I think it's saying <laughs> that like Bingley's highly agreeable. Like Bingley really understands how to match social energy and so does. Yeah. Bingley seems great. I don't think we're saying, yeah, we're not, we're not cutting edge here. We don't claim to be. I do. I hope that I'm wrong that like I've definitely always and we've said this on the podcast before that Bingley strikes us as like a big golden retriever Mm. and like he does feel a little dumb but I don't know if that's what I'm bringing to the text or if that's what the text is giving me like I'm I'm ready to reevaluate Bingley's intelligence. All right anything else? No this was really fun thank you. (sighs) With that loosen your prejudices. And also your pride. And also, okay.